listening to the Grace Auburn Church Podcast. In this week's sermon, Matt Dean preaches from Galatians chapter 5 in our series, All Things New. I think along those lines of give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart uh, to receive that, I just want to begin this morning as we began a few weeks ago with a vision from Revelation 21, and then we'll talk about this and how it relates to our lives every day. But just try to picture this in your mind. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, says, Behold, I am making all things new. I think it's so important for us as Christ followers to remember that this is not the end, right? That sickness does not have the final word, that our surroundings is not the final destination, that your circumstances have a limited amount of effect on your life, and that your eternity, your future and my future, by grace, through faith in Christ, is a place where there is no more sorrow or sickness or sadness, and our Savior we will behold with eyes, and faith will be no more. That we will behold him in reality, in physical proximity. We will see God. You will see God with your new eyes, and we will be with him, and there will be no sorrow, sickness, sadness, or pain. Death will be no more, for we know on the cross that Jesus conquered all of that, and we live in the space between that wonderful, glorious reality that is true today and life here on earth that does not quite feel that way, and we are aware of our own sin, our own shortcomings. We are aware of sorrow and sickness and sadness all around us, and we see that in our lives, and we see that in the life of the early church. And so we've been walking through Paul's letter to the church in Galatians, and as we do that this morning, I want to just bring you up to speed in case you've not been here for the past few weeks, but there was an issue where people were adding mistakenly to the gospel, and there was a group called the Judaizers, and they were saying it's not just by faith in Jesus that man or women are made right with God. You need to do these things. You need to do these external behaviors. And Paul, who was passionate about the gospel and defending the gospel, said, no, 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 no. In essence, here's what it is. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that is alone what makes men and women right before a holy God. And Paul was adamantly defending the truth and the purity, the simplicity of the gospel. And it's not the gospel plus circumcision. It's not the gospel plus dietary code. It's not the gospel plus religious duties. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And the gospel is, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can men and women be made right before a holy God. And we see that in the first few chapters of Galatians that he's trying to reconcile and even approach other people saying, do not add to what Jesus has done for what he has done is sufficient. It's clear. So for the past few weeks, we've talked about that as Christ's followers and this idea of Jesus making all things new, that we have been given a new purpose in life. And that new purpose could be summed up in Galatians uh, 2, 19 through 21. It says this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
That's that new purpose, that I might live to God. Verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's a new thing. That's a brand new thing that Christ could dwell in the hearts of redeemed people. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, presently, actively live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith. I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a new thing. And before the fulfillment of Jesus on the cross, people had to go somewhere to be with God. And because of the cross, we can live by faith in the Son of God who now lives in us. That's a new thing. And we see in the Old Testament that people had to go to the temple. They had to go to the tabernacle, but now the holiest of holies has come to us, and he conquered sin and death on the cross. And so Paul could say, Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the holy one, the one we have been waiting for, the one who conquered sin, the one who conquered death, the one who makes me right, lives in me. Hello. That's a new thing. That's part of him making all things new, that my life's purpose would be to live by faith. And ready, I'm speaking to the generation today, and not by feelings. I'm here to live by faith and not by factual evidence. Right? I'm, I'm here to live by faith, a trust in what I cannot see, a trust beyond what I do not feel. I'm living by faith, bold confidence in Jesus, and not by what I feel and not by what I see. I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Be very careful in your love for Jesus that you make sure you operate out of his first love to you. And working for God, doing for God is of secondary importance if you're not doing it out of his primary abundant love for you. He does not need more workers. He commands the wind and the waves. What he wants is to bring his children home and to convince his children through the cross, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved. Welcome home. And the powerful thing about love and kindness is that love and kindness flows from people who know love and kindness. And so the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, who loves you and gave himself for you. The next thing we talked about is to live by faith includes the reality that we must live by faith as adopted children. And if you were not here last week, I strongly encourage you to go and listen to the message from last week because it's the heartbeat of the gospel that God would bring people that did not have a home, that did not deserve a home, that did not have a family, that did not deserve a family, that did not have a future and did not deserve a future, that he would bring them home. And we see that heartbeat of God in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. We see that through the doctrine of adoption, that God adopts us into his own family. And I shared with you quite personally last week our own adoption story as adoptive parents and how it is the clear picture of the gospel of what God has done for us to bring people that did not have a family or a future into a family with a future forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. This morning, I want us to turn to Galatians chapter 4, and as we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us, as we live by faith that we are adopted children of God, this is the other thing that we must live by. We must live by freedom. 
And the hard part about this is that it's quite possible for us to know that this is true, and yet in our own lives we get sidetracked by our feelings, by our failures, by our struggles. And Paul was no stranger to this. He himself knew the reality of sin living in us that's not us. I know you know the reality of doing what you don't want to do, as do I. And so how do we as Christ followers, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ, how do we live in this freedom? And it really begins with knowing what God has done and knowing who we are so that when we see opportunity for sin and when we recognize disobedience before us or within us, that we remember I'm an adopted son or daughter of God. I belong to him. He lives in me. And this goes back to living by the truth and to living in the truth. And even the ability to do this is a gift from him. Right? Even your faith is a gift from him. So pray the prayer, God, would you increase my faith to walk in the reality of what is true of me and the gospel. And so we get to this chapter 4, and, and we, we begin, it says this in verse 6, because you are sons of God. Well, let me back up to Galatians 4.4. 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive, not achieve, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then Paul's concern begins to become evident again. It says in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, here's, here's what was happening. They had the truth. They had the gospel. They had the freedom. And in a cultural moment where people were adding to what was required for their salvation, Paul was taking those things back and saying, no, 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 it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, this is it. And people were going, but what about this and what about this? Or because they were adding to that and becoming defeated in their behavior, then they began to look to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. If I have more, I'll be more. If I experience more, I'll be happier. It's the same thing that we ourselves do. And he was saying, no, those are lesser gods, little g gods. Maybe you've heard the quote from C.S. Lewis where he talks about nibbling at the crumbs of the table when we could have the feast of God forever. We're too easily satisfied by the trivial, trite things of this world. And he's saying, no, there's more for you. There's more for you. And he asks a question, now that you have come to know God, but I like this part better, now that you've become known by God, why would you go back? And I want to ask you this question this morning as I ask myself, why would we go back to anything other than the gospel? I mean, you think about your own struggle, your own sin, your own heartache, your own failure. What else are you going to go to, truthfully? What else is going to satisfy your soul? What else is going to lift your eyes to the promise and forever of eternity? There's nothing else. And as we come back around to by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, Paul's asking the question to the early church, why would you, why would you go back? Do you, do you know people that just struggle? Do you know your own struggle? You know, where you, we know what to do. We know what the right thing is, and yet sometimes we find ourselves 
doing that very thing that we don't want to do. I want to turn our attention now to Galatians 5, because in chapter 4, Paul is adamantly contending for their freedom. And you can go back and read that, but it's going to require a little bit of research and a little bit of uh, in-depth kind of study to understand what he's saying. So I want us to get to chapter 5 this morning so that we can walk out in what Paul was trying to say in chapter 4. And this is what he says. I'm just going to read Galatians 5, and then we're going to walk through it together. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's saying, don't go back to the idols. Don't go back to the weak and worthless things of the world. Don't begin again to add to the gospel. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. In Christ, faith working through love is what counts. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would uh, harm themselves, basically, (laughs) in no uh, unkind terms. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those who are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And given our age range in the room, we're going to let the adults read those. And we're going to pick up in verse 22. But the works of the flesh are evident. Then we drop down to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's work in you are these things. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against those things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want us to walk through these verses together and just draw out some observations as we look to God's Word. In Galatians 4, Paul is strongly, strongly encouraging the Galatian church to remember your gospel freedom. If you want a summary of chapter 4, here it is. Remember your gospel freedom. In chapter 5, he says this, that we've been set free, so stand firm. And to stand firm is a choice that's only possible by grace through faith in Christ. As we think this through, there's an interesting thing of what Paul is saying is, if you're trying to be accepted by the law, you've severed yourself from Christ and from the grace of God. Okay, so the issue in this moment for this church was circumcision or non-circumcision, dietary law or non-dietary law, that may not be our current reality 
but the truth and the principle is still the same. Are you adding to what is required of you in the gospel? And he's saying, no, stand firm. You are fully free forever in Christ. And that full freedom will, in fact, result in holiness and love and obedience. That freedom, you've been freed up to obey. One pastor said it this way, the gospel frees us from the law for the law. Okay, so if you think of Jesus' teaching in, in Matthew, for example, with the Sermon on the Mount, that's the blueprint of an obedient Christian life that's impossible, impossible apart from Jesus. If you try to live out the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes apart from the grace of God, good luck. There's not any amount of luck in the world, if luck's even a thing. I don't think there is a thing. There's no amount of effort that you can exert to perfectly obey the law. So let's just agree with that together. My obedience and yours is insufficient to make me right before a holy God. You're wonderful people. You look great. You're awesome. But you are not holy in your own right, nor am I. And no amount of obedience is going to make me right before God. No amount of religiosity or irreligion is going to make us right before God because all that we bring to the table are filthy rags in light of who God is. It doesn't mean that we don't bring good things. It doesn't mean that we have good attributes for we're made in his image and likeness, but it does mean this. Compared to the holiness of the one who sits on the throne, we bring nothing to the table, and that's a freeing thing because in that reality, what happens is we go, only, only Jesus, <laughs> Only Jesus. And that, in turn, becomes what we boast in and what we brag in. Galatians 5.5, 5, it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly, and I want you to remember, not anxiously, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for what counts in Christ is faith working through love. If you're familiar with Paul's letters to the church, he says, I can do all these things, but if I have not love... It's just a bunch of noise. And so our faith gets expressed by trusting in God and loving through that faith. Does that make sense? Our faith is expressed through love. And Paul says in Galatians 5, what counts in Christ is faith working through love. Galatians 5.13, it says, You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. Are you aware at this point, I know the older we get, um, the more we are aware of our sin and our sinful tendencies, but is it possible in your life, I know it is in mine, to want to do something right and good and have immediately competing thoughts of what is not good and right? Anyone else with me? Right? That, that's our reality, right? We, we know what is good. We know what we've been freed up to do, and there is sin living in us. The Bible says sin lives in us, but it's not us. I want to be real clear. It's not you. Sin lives in us. The power of sin lives in us, but it is not us. I am not the definition, nor am I defined by my temptations, my, my struggle, my sin, nor are you. You are not defined by your struggle or your sin. You and I are defined by Christ, but we find this at work within us. We want to do good, and yet somehow there are moments where we don't want to do good, and so what is going on here, and part of our understanding of what God is making new is this. You have a new nature in Christ. You have a new heart that's been made right and pure in Christ. We don't always experience that. We don't always feel that. But you do have sin living in you, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you do, at the core of who you are, 
You have been made right with God. And if you press through the sin, if you press through your struggle and press through your temptation at the core of who you are, I know you want to do what is right. And I know you want to please God for he has given you a heart of flesh and he has removed that heart of stone. He's honored the covenant he made with his people. But we live in a fallen world and fallen bodies and we wrestle with this reality. In a few minutes, we'll talk about what the flesh is, but the simplicity is this, even though we're free, don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul addresses that because of grace should we go on sinning. He speaks to that in Romans, and we'll get to that in a minute as well. But in Galatians 5.14, it says this, the law is fulfilled in the simple statement of love your neighbor as yourself. And if you consider the needs of your neighbor as you consider yourself, you will in fact fulfill the law. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's two things we need to identify here. One is there's a way to walk, and there's not a way to walk, right? There, there's a choice that we have to make, and if, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But here's the other thing that's true. If we don't walk by the Spirit, we will, in fact, seek out and gratify the flesh. So there's two words. You don't have to know this, but I just want to give you these definitions. In Greek, the word flesh really is translated as the sin desiring aspect of who you are that is not yet renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so to kind of help you think this through for a moment, you know, it says that our hearts were dead to God before the gospel, but because of the gospel, our hearts have been made alive to God and Jesus Christ. But that new heart has to filter out through your mind, your will, your emotions, and your physical body, okay? So that new part of who you are, right, still has to filter out through a mind that does not think accurately and through a will that does not always choose in a manner that is godly and through your emotions that are definitely affected by sin. And so while we want to do what is right, our mind, our will, our emotions, our physical bodies have all been affected by sin. There's nothing that has not been affected by sin, And when we get this new heart, a heart of flesh that desires to love God and to honor God, when we receive adoption as sons and daughters, we have been made new in Christ forever. But sanctification, that commitment of God to make his people more and more like Jesus, it has to filter out through the way we feel. It has to filter out through the things that we think. It has to filter out by the way that we choose, and let's just call it for what it is. We don't always feel, choose, or think in a way that honors God, and that is evident in our physical bodies. And so the Christian life is that journey of going, you've made me new, you've brought me home, the gospel means I'm free in you forever, so help me think accurately about who you are, and help me choose wisely in light of who you are, and let me feel accordingly to all the best things that you would have for me. Because you and I both know that our feelings can sink us that bad decisions, a poor choice of the will can destroy our lives. And that if we don't think rightly about God, he is our perfect heavenly father, then we will settle into some other way of thinking that produces performance-based acceptance before a God that says it is not your performance at all. It's a trap. It's a ploy of the enemy. And by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, you are right with God forever. He's brought you home. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. My two-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, 
she, her new favorite word is walk, 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 and not walk like Chinese food, walk, like walk. She likes to walk. And this is the way she likes to walk. She likes to walk with my finger clutched in her hand like this, and she leads the way. Now, she's not really leading the way. You get that, right? I could pick her up with her finger, right? But, but she's leading the way, and that's the image of us. Our all-powerful God we're saying, I want to walk, I want to serve in your kingdom, I want to do these things, I want to go to unreached people groups and translate the Bible, I want to go to my difficult neighbor here in Auburn, I want to walk, 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 and he's like, I got you, come on. But the thing is this, at any moment, his power would supersede our best strengths. His weakness is uh, stronger than our greatest strengths. Paul talks about that in the letter to the Corinthian church. And so for us, as we walk with Christ and we're saying, I want to do, I want to do, I want to do, he's like, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. I'm your father, I'm your father, I'm your father. You were loved, you were loved, you were, you were accepted, you were accepted. Where do you want to go? How do you want to serve? The thing is, he does not need us, but he sure does love us. You are loved by God. So this morning, I want us to walk through the reality of a new identity and as we do that, I want to read from Romans. You don't have to turn there, but this is Romans 7. And I want us to just make sure that we understand from the Word of God kind of our reality. So here it is, Romans 7, beginning in verse 12. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That that which is good then bring death to me by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin, I love this, might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The law shows sin for what it is. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who want to do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close behind for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That was that heart I was talking about, in my inner being. But I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. Wretched man that I am, exclamation mark. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. That's the dynamic. If you ever want to study or ask the question, why do I do what I don't want to do? Go to Romans 7 and think on that. Sit upon that. But as we think about Galatians 5, it's obvious that the deeds of the flesh are clear. We know the deeds of the flesh. You've lived life long enough. You know what flesh and sinful behavior looks like. And I want to acknowledge that it's obvious and evident, but more obvious and more evident is when Jesus shows up and changes our lives, when Jesus takes the former way of living and he says, this is now evidence of me at work in your life. And so then I want us to look, all right, in Galatians, when we think about this list, begin in verse 22. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against those things there is no law. So I just want to walk through for a second. And uh, fair warning, this is perhaps when conviction may settle in upon your life. It's certainly settling in into my life as I think this looks like Jesus. Let me just tell you, here's what Jesus looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to know what he looks like, he is the image of the invisible God. This is evidence of his life in your life. And so love, the original language is agape, to love someone for their good and value. Are there people in your life that are difficult to love? Um, yes. And as you think about loving people for their good as evidence of Jesus and me, that takes on love to a whole new level. It may be in your home, it may be in your place of work, it may be in your family or among your friends, but loving people is evidence of Jesus at work in you. And when you are not loving to people, it's an obvious misdeed of the flesh. Joy. I know many joyless Christians. And I'm not talking about unhappy. I'm saying people that find it difficult to delight in God for who he is and what he has done. Peace is a confident rest in the wisdom and control of God. For those in the room who struggle with anxiety, this is a real, real thing. And even in your heart of hearts, you do want to have a confident rest and trust in who God is. And yet your mind and your will and your emotions, they can definitely get the best of us, can it not? But peace, evidence of Jesus in us is that we have a confident rest and the wisdom and control of God. I remember about a year and a half ago, I was driving home from Birmingham, seeing uh, family, and I was talking to my mom on the phone, and I, and I just said this statement to her, and it was the first time I'd ever said it in my whole life, and I was 41, I think. I said, Mom, I think I'm finally at the place where I'm resting in the grace of God. It took me 41 years to cease my striving. 41 years. And I said, I'm finally resting in the grace of God. Peace in your life looks like you're resting in the wisdom and control of God. Patience. Hello, parents of young children. Here I am, guilty. Um, the ability to face frustration, trouble, difficulty without blowing up. Isn't that fun to read? That's, that's wonderful. Patience is a learned thing. It's a slow slow thing, and I will just be honest with you, sometimes it's really difficult. But at the end of this list, I want to remind you of something about fruit. Kindness. Kindness is the ability to serve others from a deep inner security. I'm going to be kind to you, not so that I'll get something from you. I'm going to be kind to you, not so that you can do something for me. I'm going to be kind to you because I know that I'm loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's kindness. That's evidence of Jesus at work in you. Goodness. Goodness, the original language is goodness and integrity, and it says being the same person in every situation. And that's tough. And that's especially tough in our North American culture where we have reduced Christianity down into an individual, private thing. But Christianity at its heartbeat was lived out in community. The gathering of his people is a beautiful thing because it helps us see one another. And God's goodness and evidence in our life is that we're the same people in every situation. 
Faithfulness is evidence of Jesus at work in you. And faithfulness, and I, and I love this, is to be utterly reliable and true. Is anyone utterly reliable and true like Jesus? I mean, Jesus was utterly reliable to the cross, even death on a cross. He is true. Gentleness, the original language, talks about the opposite of superiority. That gentleness is the opposite of superiority. We see that spelled out in Philippians, that though he was God, he did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but humbled himself. And gentleness has everything to do with humility, avoiding being self-absorbed. And finally, evidence of Jesus at work in us is self-control. Self-control. And here's another way you can think of it, pursuing the important over the urgent. That self-control is about pursuing what is important more than the urgent. So self-control has everything to do with this is the long-term goal of where I want to be. Now, one pastor observed this about fruit, uh, four things, that fruit is gradual, okay? Fruit is inevitable. Fruit is internally rooted in the gospel. But this is one thing I hope will encourage you. Fruit is symmetrical. Banana is a banana is a banana. Apple is apple is apple. Orange is orange is orange. And what he's saying in this is that fruit grows together. So let me just encourage you with something. Don't just focus on I want to be more loving. I don't want to be just patient or good or faithful. All fruit grows at the same time. It may be at the different pace, but evidence of Jesus at work in you is growing at the same time. And if you are struggling with sin, which I'm sure that you are, as am I, if you are struggling with temptation or failure, let me, let me read um, these words to you. Some fear that grace delivered, blood-bought, radical freedom will result in loveless license. But redeeming, unconditional love alone carries us and compels us to heartfelt loyalty for the one who bought us. His love carries us towards loyalty. Okay? His unconditional love carries our hearts to a place of loyalty to Jesus. And so that very simple phrase, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's the heartbeat of what we're talking about this morning. Thomas Watson said this, until sin is bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And his point in that statement was, if you just focus on uh, sin then you're missing it. But if you realize sin is what it is, then the beauty of the cross becomes more and more evident. Another one said this, this is not just an intellectual exercise. We must worship Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, adoring him until our hearts find him more beautiful than the object we are seeking after, until our hearts find Jesus more beautiful than the sin that was before us. And I have spent a lot of time with a lot of people and I, I myself know this as a feller, fellow uh, struggler and, and someone who has sinned in their life. If we focus on sin, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't, we will do that. If we focus on Christ, he is good, he is faithful, he is loving, he is just, he is rich in compassion, he is merciful to me, he rises to show me compassion every day. He becomes greater than whatever it is that is tempted. And I will, I will say this to you and you can bank your life on it. Jesus will always be more satisfying than any sin you are being seduced towards. Because at the end of the day, sin, your sin and mine, it leads to death and disappointment 
and destruction. Jesus will always be better than whatever sin you are struggling with. So let that new heart live out, right? And as your mind and your will and emotions battle against you and who you truly are in Christ, just remember this, Jesus is always better. He's always better. And in time, over your lifetime, you will see with your eyes that the one who was always better ultimately is right here in front of you. And that's going to be amazing. And that's when there will be no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more sorrow and and death and pain. So let's pray this morning. And as we pray this morning, I want to read this amazing truth over you as we prepare our hearts for communion. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We're so glad you listened to the Grace Auburn Church podcast. There's so much happening in the life of our church, and we could not be more excited about all that God is doing. For more information about ways that you can connect within the life of our church, go to our website, www.graceauburn.church.